This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 364, May the 31st, 1996. At this time, Douglas Murray, Paul Biddle, Mark Rushdoony, and I will be discussing guilt tripping. Now, one of the most common aspects of our uh, present era is that we are uh, regularly invited by our leaders to feel guilty, as though somehow we should feel badly because we're well off or we're living in the United States and should feel that we have an obligation to the rest of the world to give away everything to them, in effect. I recall, as a boy, in the 20s this was, watching uh, Thanksgiving roll around and seeing a familiar cartoon in some of the daily papers. The editorialist, on the cartoon page, the cartoon would show a family seated around the Thanksgiving table getting ready to carve the turkey and the table loaded with everything and all around them shadowy figures of poor people all over the world looking hungrily. And you were supposed to feel that because you were enjoying a Thanksgiving dinner you were somehow guilty. At the time, the American people were very generous in a way that they are not now. They were giving to all kinds of causes. But they were supposed to feel guilty because they enjoyed something. Now, that's an immoral kind of... Uh, suggestion to people that they should be guilty because they have so much. It is amazing to me how over the years since my college days I've seen so many young people who come from well-to-do homes, sometimes rich ones, who've been made to feel guilty because they have more than other people somehow they should apologize and some of them would be apologetic. This is socially destructive. It is morally destructive. We cannot feed the world simply by divesting ourselves of what we have. We are not guilty of crimes that take place in the rest of the world. Much of the world denies Christ, denies the obligation to redeem the time, to work, to be productive. In fact, they feel that work is a punishment, an, an evil, something to be avoided. There are portions in the world where 
a girl from a good family which is poor but still can be considered aristocratic or noble can become for a time a prostitute to acquire funds but to be a typist is degrading. In the last century one French poet who worked as a trader for a time in Africa found that it was not uncommon for people to sell themselves into slavery rather than to go to work on their own. There would be a stigma if as a free person they did this, but not as a slave. Guilt tripping has grown dramatically since World War II. It has become so commonplace that most people are hardly aware of the fact that everyone is putting a guilt trip on them and they are somehow to feel guilty for being whatever they are, rich or middle class or whatever. One of the problems someone told me last year that is commonplace to men today is that they feel a bit guilty because they're males. It isn't that they would like to be a female, but because our culture is so hostile to men and male chauvinism, chauvinist pigs, other such terms are current, they hardly dare assert themselves at home to their children or to their wife. One man told me that uh, at a number of seminars for men, they really don't know what to do as husbands and as fathers because they're afraid of being the head of the household, of exercising some discipline. The wife gets angry with them, if they do, and then because they're afraid to do anything, is angry with them and treats them as an incompetent boob. There are guilt trips also on women. More than a few times placed by other women because they are not fanatical activists for feminism even though they may be feminists. On all sides, we have guilt trips that are laid upon people. It is an evil thing. People accept this because they are either not Christian or their Christian faith is defective. Because if they had a mature faith, they would know that We cannot be guilt-bearers as Christians. Christ bore our sin and guilt and put it away. 
he commissions us to act. We must obey him, and it is a sin for us to allow people to lay a guilt trip on us when we have done no wrong. Douglas, would you like to comment on the subject? Well, I'm just going to say that uh, uh, guilt is one of the most powerful weapons of the con man yes. or of any criminal. Uh, it's used by racists. It's uh, used geopolitically by foreign countries uh, against each other. It's part of the foreign policy of many countries. It's used by politicians to extract more taxes. It's used by social engineers, as Russia has pointed out, to uh, alter people's behavior and perceptions of how they should behave. It's part of the brainwashing of the that the humanists practice uh, in this country, at least, and I'm afraid all over the world. Uh, it's used uh, now routinely by con men who. Uh, gain control or uh, rise to the top in large charitable organizations uh, in this country. Uh, it's used by certain televangelists. If you watch them for yes. a while and analyze uh, how they evoke uh, guilt in people as a tool for getting them to send in money, as if sending in money is like an like an offering uh, to uh, to absolve themselves of guilt, rather than repenting uh, and praying to God for forgiveness. They want to take a shortcut, you know, and uh, send money to a televangelist. Um, so be, beware of the con man. Beware of anybody that, that tries to use guilt as a means of altering your uh, perceptions of yourself uh, or trying to get money. Uh, in fact, hang on to your wallet with both hands. I think that's one of the things that infuriates them about Christians because Christians don't feel guilty when they're told to feel guilty. Therefore, as they see it, Christians are heartless. <laughs> you, you can't be manipulated, therefore you must mm -hmm. be heartless. Well, uh, the, the certain knowledge of um, uh, Christ uh, taking uh, the guilt uh, off of our shoulders and um, I think education uh, real education, not indoctrination as we have currently in the public schools, but real education as is available in Christian schools and a knowledge of history gives you the strength, all of those things together give you the strength to look analytically at the pitch of any one of these con men, be he politician, uh, uh, head of a charitable organization, a social engineer, a racist, or any politician of a foreign country that tries to convince you that you're not doing enough for him or her. And you just have to say no. And Douglas, if, if we feel guilt in a situation where something is requested of us and it's based upon scriptural interpretation, should we feel guilt then? You, you don't know enough. 
you, you really you, you can feel a responsibility to be charitable yeah. um, you may feel that you have an obligation to act but you don't have to feel guilty guilt implies mm -hmm. sin on your part mm -hmm. that's correct and you don't have to feel that you sin unless you genuinely sinned you find and there's, and there's, 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 there's guilt there that needs there's something that needs to be confessed on your part yeah. Yeah. but nobody can transfer guilt to you I, I think the essence that you strike there is that it's a violation of God's law or something related to God rather than man's law, a violation of that. I don't necessarily feel guilty if I go over 55, but if I somehow slip off the path and I know I do something that God does not permit, I feel guilty as I'll get out. And I, I think guilt is something peculiar to God rather than to man's laws. Uh, we speak of being adjudged guilty in a court or what have you, but I really think guilt is something that's very wrapped up, it's intrinsic to your relationship with God more so than, than with the statutory law. There was something interesting, on, I was talking to someone a few days ago and they, were, they had seen something on TV, the gist of which is how honest are Americans. And they couldn't remember the question. The one question they could, re they could uh, remember was, um, if a contractor asked you to pay him in cash, would you do it? And I said, are you supposed to say uh, no, to be honest? And they said, yes. Okay, now, and I said, is it, is it illegal to offer to pay cash for something? And they said, no. I said, so is it is it, what's wrong with paying someone in cash? Well, the implication being the contractor may not be paying his taxes, as though that is our responsibility. Yeah, we should. That we have to, we have to leave a paper trail so for the, the government. IRS can follow it. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, it is now illegal for any uh, automobile dealer to accept. Uh, 10,000 or more in cash on payment for any automobile without uh, immediately reporting it to the IRS and maybe now it's illegal even to accept it mm -hmm. and not only so but apparently the uh, federal officials are going around trying to buy cars for cash to snare them, eh? To snare them and to revoke their licenses. Oh, I love it. Now, what moral guilt is there in cash? <laughs> well, you but uh, the, you're creating sins and you're tying up people's consciences with things that are not sins. Mm -hmm. For a while, uh, drug dealers caught on to this so they would go to an automobile dealer and they would buy a car on an installment credit and then go, you know, a few days later and pay the installment credit thing off. You know, they they, they do a little dance so that the uh, car dealer wouldn't get into trouble and he wouldn't have any problem getting the car he wants. Well, now these contracts are written so that you have to make a certain number of payments. You can't pay them off right away without a penalty. So uh, they've short-circuited that. Well, I do believe this uh, matter of putting people under a guilt trip 
produces hypocrisy. I was angry. I was ready to uh, swear I was so angry. When on TV for a very, very stupid bond issue that made no sense at all, this man who was asked about it, what did he think about it? It meant more taxes, but uh, he said he was happy to pay more taxes. <laughs> he regarded it as one of the privileges of being a citizen. Now that was hypocrisy. He didn't want to be on television on a news program saying, no, I don't want to favor this. I think the politicians are hitting us with more taxes every time you turn around. Well, he wouldn't get on the program if he didn't say that. Yes. I mean, you can you can you can put him in the category of being either very well programmed or purposely selected to make that statement on television, and a good hypocrite. For the way those propositions and a lot of people may not be familiar with them, we can actually uh, bond issues and propositions can be put on the ballot in general elections in California. And um, for a long time, I noticed. I think it's pretty much still the case that anything that dealt with veterans, a bond issue to help veterans in some way, automatically passed. People didn't like, weren't comfortable apparently with voting against uh, veterans, even if they didn't like the idea of the state going into debt. If it had to do with the environment, something to protect the environment, it would pass. If it had to, for a long time, if it had to do with education, mm -hmm. it would pass. Now there, there's been a reaction to that in recent years. But for a long time, if it was for schools, it passed. And uh, what's currently in vogue, uh, for instance, environment, anything doing with environment is, go is going to pass because people aren't that confident of what they believe or why they vote for something. They don't. They don't want to vote for anything that says it's for the environment. That's a that's a very sensitive issue with a lot of people. Um, there was a recently a, an initiative on the ballot. We've had a problem with. There's mountain lion tracks right outside the house here. Mm -hmm. There's been a mountain lion that killed has killed a goat out here recently. And just a few weeks ago in California, we voted on a law that it would allow the state. We have a constitutional ban right now to prohibits anyone from killing mountain lions in California. It would have allowed the hunting of mountain lions if it was deemed that there were too many in any given area, much like many predators are, are dealt with in many areas. There was a commercial on television that showed the hunting of a, of a mountain lion, an old film of a mountain lion being treed, shot, and falling into a, a creek. That was a licensed kill. Yes. And um, the guilt manipulation. Exactly. You don't want this to happen to one of these beautiful cats, do you? So much of our pol political campaigns are based on political conservative and democratic are based on, on guilt. You don't want this to happen. It's a sorry commentary on the mentality of the electorate when they can be manipulated that easily. Absolutely. 
But it, but it does reflect the general level of the populace. And that is I have scary. a solution to this mountain lion thing, incidentally. Uh, if the liberals are, uh, who are all in favor of neutering and spaying uh, domestic uh, cats and dogs uh, don't want uh, hunting, uh, sport hunting of mountain lions in order to control the population, which is ballooned out of all proportion, then I think that they should be willing to pay for a capture and release program which neuters and spays all mountain lions in California so that uh, the population can be controlled. Now, you talk about guilt, and the, the, uh, the people who were uh, in favor of the proposition that would have uh, uh, allowed the fish and game to regulate the numbers of mountain lions through hunting, which has been done for years and years uh, prior to the uh, ban. Um, and uh, we, we should put some of the uh, people from the environmental movement in the cage to give the mountain lion a sporting chance. And it's a mutually <laughs> self-liquidating problem. Uh, we'll see who comes out on top, the mountain lion or the environmentalist. <laughs> Well, I, well, I don't mean to springboard from spaying and neutering of animals onto another topic, but it's one I'd like to hear Rush speak out on because it's, it's coming up now, and I'm reading it in the papers quite a bit, and that's the marriage of lesbians and gays and whether it should be recognized by the law in the various states, whether now they're putting together a federal statute on it and that type of thing. That is a guilt trip in itself. Well, they're using, they're using guilt. I mean, every... Uh, speech that any of these people make, uh, they automatically use the, the terms which have already been provided to them by the spin doctors and the political left, you know, homophobic, unfair, uh, you know, I mean, there's a whole litany of terminologies, uh, uh, epithets that are automatically hurled at anyone that questions the, the, uh, the logic or the, uh, uh, the idea of doing uh, what they want to do. Uh, first, to continue this bit, uh, the last time we taped, you're a member of the a mountain lioness and her cub. The footprints were all over the driveway. Last night, it was a neighbor's goat that was killed. And even though in such a case you can actually call in a state hunter to do something about it, they will not come unless you can provide evidence of an actual kill. To get to your question, of course, because we have abandoned any moral standards except those of humanism, we are told it is bigotry to oppose marriages between homosexuals or lesbians. Nothing about the social consequences. Nothing about the fact that the Bible calls such activity the burning out of man. In Romans 1, where it says they burn with lust one for another, in the Greek text, the literal reading is they burn out. So homosexual acts are, by the Bible, presented as the burning out of man, the end of the road culturally. 
And historically, whenever you see it rise, it's the end of that civilization. So, we are not only told we cannot condemn such things without being condemned ourselves, but uh, we are told that they have the same right as we do. However, the practical fact is that they have more rights than we do. They are beyond criticism. We are not. We are told that our opinions cannot be enacted into law, but those of homosexuals can be. So we are in a moral crisis. And every effort is being made to take the guilt off of homosexuals and place it onto Christians. Do you notice the, uh, do you remember the guilt tripping that was used in order to stampede the politicians into uh, voting uh, billions of dollars uh, for AIDS research? Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, other diseases which affect the general population uh, are starving for research money or have been virtually eliminated altogether or have to rely on private contributions. You know, my skin is so thick that I feel very little guilt on most things that I read about in the newspaper. I think of Bill Clinton wanting to raise our taxes and provide money for midnight basketball. And we should feel guilty that these children don't have a place to go in the middle of the night to play basketball. And now he's in New Orleans saying we should put them in curfew at 8 o'clock. Yes. How are they going to play basketball at midnight if they're under curfew? Well, obviously, indoor gymnasiums. Now we should feel guilty yeah. about the fact that they're out there after curfew. I, I find guilt, as you said, the guilt trip is something that is so selective and so arbitrary when you take it away from God's law or scriptural interpretation, that you just might as well have thin, thick skin, be indifferent to it, listen to it, and toss it to the side. Of course, Mark is probably more sensitive than that. What do you feel about that, Mark? No, I I think that's one of the real advantages of of, uh, having a moral perspective is you you don't feel you have to feel guilty. If you really know what the source of guilt is in that sin, and you don't feel this sin, it's Forget about it. guilty. It's you may have opinions on what the solution to a problem is, but you don't have to feel guilty about something, even if you care about it and you want to solve it. And the people who do the most are not the people who feel guilty about something. It's the people who fix, try to try to find a solution, a fix to the problem, and really attack it at its roots. Because you never people, heard about them. The guilt, what have the guilt manipulators mm-hmm. done? They've thrown money at a problem. Mm-hmm. And then they feel very self-righteous mm-hmm. because look at all that we've done for the problem. Mm-hmm. We've, we've thrown other people's money at the problem. Aren't, aren't we noble? I mean, we have so many things of a political nature which we're asked to take guilt for. Busing, uh, whatever. And uh, if it comes from a political perspective, the guilt becomes quite questionable. Uh, normally, politicians do not speak in terms of God's law. They speak in terms of their own secular humanist interests. So uh, I don't think the, the, the guilt is, is part of the political equation. It's very, it's very broad, though. Parents are s- supposed to feel guilty 
for what their, their children do. Children are told to place guilt trips on their parents because, after all, you raised me. It's, it's your fault. I didn't ask to be born. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that. But I just happened to we have uh, heard this past week, and they're in a magazine here, that a couple quotes. One is by Tom Daschle, Senate Minority Leader. If the Republicans in Congress had gotten their way, Americans today would be drinking dirtier water, breathing dirtier air, and facing public health risks that they should not have to face. Just very typical of an election year. Makes you feel bad about being a Republican, my goodness. <laughs> Unfortunately, it works on both sides. I mean, look at the Bush thing with the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, that didn't really pertain to a great deal of anything. And yet it was much of his campaign centered around that in what was that, 84, I believe, or 88. Um, it's sad when so much of our our campaigns can center on, on such non-issues. To continue with this matter of uh, guilt tripping, one of the key factors in our current uh, era is that sin has been separated from guilt. In terms of the Bible, sin always results in guilt, and behind guilt, true guilt, there is always sin. Now, when you separate the two and you drop sin out of the picture, then you can create guilt by creating synthetic sin. Sins against humanity, sins against the state, sins against the children, invented sins that have no relevance in terms of Scripture. And this is what we have today. Because people don't know much about what sin is as the Bible defines it, they are easily made to feel guilty. The Westminster Confession simply quoted the epistle of 1 John when it said that sin is uh, any want of conformity to or departure from the law of God. So the law of God, according to Scripture, defines sin. Well, nobody pays any attention to the law of God. If they do, they're regarded as one of those Christian Reconstructionist nuts. So they don't know the meaning of guilt. And guilt-tripping has become a simple thing in all quarters. Whether they're children or adults, they're easily put uh, under a guilt trip. And with it is a loss of reality. People today have uh, are out of touch, really, with reality. When we were at the doctor's on uh, Wednesday and Dorothy was in there and she came out laughing because this woman was going to have a needle stuck in. It's done so gently, and I've been there and had it done time and time again, that unless you're watching, you don't know they've done it. But this woman carried on. 
She said she was getting a headache. It had to be taken out immediately. She couldn't proceed. Nothing could be done to her. Why? She was suffering. She had a headache. And she said, this was an older woman, when she was young she bore two children. And this was greater pain than that. Now that is a loss of reality. Her daughter was there and her daughter was no spring chicken and she was embarrassed by her mother's behavior. But it isn't that unusual now. People who have no sense of reality, who feel that any pain is unendurable or any imagined pain, or for them to be deprived of anything is somehow tremendous sin. And this is true of children and adults. With retirement, a strong segment of our population, especially if they are not Christian, have become childish. It isn't that they've lost their marbles. It isn't because they're senile, but because they've become so self-indulgent. And they move to be away from their children and then whine and complain because the children don't see them or come to visit them, and when they do... They whine and complain so the children go away feeling guilty because they've neglected their parents but finding it too difficult an experience to go through too quickly. And the parents, miserable because they don't want to be bothered with the children. They don't want to have a a sense of guilt at seeing them, a rightful sense of guilt because they're busy spending their children's inheritance. So it's becoming an ugly situation. Guilt tripping is becoming increasingly commonplace and it's a way of telling the other person I can do what I want because you're guilty and I'm going to put a guilt trip on you. It's interesting. While people are are very quick to try to claim guilt on other people's part, they're also in such a hurry to transfer guilt to someone else, they don't want to look at where the guilt really lies. Very often it's very close to home. There have been several there are several prominent celebrities who have lost a, a child for instance that want to blame someone else because their child died of an overdose of drugs or in some other way never saying that it, you know that person voluntarily took those drugs um, when we think of the uh, there's there's a great amount of uh, guilt tripping regarding people who are anti-abortion because, oh, they're against abortion, but they don't really love babies. And yet, there is some real guilt regarding abortion. And it isn't with the pro-life movement. 
there's been a lot of evil committed and a lot of people are truly guilty and maybe they help absolve themselves of the guilt over their personal acts by pointing fingers at other people but we live in a very immoral society and there is a lot of guilt out there and maybe it makes people feel better if they point to others and they try to place guilt elsewhere other than where it belongs. Well, this has uh, become pandemic in our society is blaming somebody else. Uh, it's not limited really to just that, but I was going to say that in the case of, uh, I've read uh, comments by women who've had abortions and uh, they don't feel guilt so much as they feel remorse down the yes. road. A feeling of remorse <coughs> comes over them. Because they realize that they'll never know that youngster that they uh, had aborted, and they f and they feel uh, a deep sense of remorse, and it doesn't go away. What you said, Mark, I recall a few years back, when there was a lot of picketing at abortion clinics. This woman from the West Coast, who could not afford it flew back to New York and to several other states at different times to picket at abortions. On one occasion, she had a heavy fine for her demonstration. Again, she could not afford it. And it baffled me. Why in the world would she do that? There was so much good that she could have done locally. And the money she spent she could have accomplished some important things locally, but she had to fly back to these demonstrations and come back with a glow. Well, I think a lot of people in the uh, pro-life movement got, uh, well, they were looking for a method, uh, you know, methodology that would, uh, uh, a means of fighting abortion and they bought into the techniques that were used by the left during the yes. 1960s. And they really got sucked in to uh, a method which is not accomplishing anything. I don't think they've accomplished anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this, there's this feeling of wanting to be a crusader. And, uh, there are other things that can be done, but the problem is no, you don't get a lot of credit for it, you know, such as helping uh, helping uh, facilitate adoptions or taking foster children in, changing the diapers, doing the dirty work. You know, it's grunt work, and it's hard, and it's tough, and you don't get any credit for it, uh, you know, from the from the uh, the general public, but it's uh, it's uh, it's a way to move forward, and uh, all of the sign carrying and all of the sloganeering in the world is not going to uh, do any good. It's not going to change people's minds. Just to get into a little flavor of that, because I'd like to get some opinion from all of you, but uh, something that's I think relevant to that is sin is very personal, guilt is very personal, atonement is very personal, your communication with God is very personal and private, uh, 
is that one of the reasons that inherently we dislike people who gossip or people who malign or people who pass bad rumors? Is that God's law written in our hearts that mm -hmm. these people are violating uh, the essence of the relationship between God and, and the, his creation, his, his little man there on earth? Uh, I, I think that is the case. And I, I wonder, though, when you do observe sin, what should be your reaction to it? Do you avoid it, deny it? I, I wonder what is the proper response to sin? Not for all that you observe in someone yes. else. The Bible says that we are guilty if we see a criminal act and are silent and do nothing about it. If we are a witness to a murder and we say nothing, we are an accomplice in terms of God's law. Or a theft, and we say nothing about it, we are an accomplice. That premise still exists in some of our uh, statute books. You cannot be a silent uh, witness. You are liable. Remember the, the Kitty Genovese situation where a whole bunch of people stood around and watched her being stabbed to death on mm -hmm. a, a New York, uh, or a street, I guess, in New York City. And everybody was shocked at the time. But today that's become commonplace. People are routinely uh, mugged and beaten, and it's now it's it, people are astounded if anyone uh, tries to come to their aid. Mm -hmm. And the media treats anybody that comes to their aid with uh, conditional approval. You always get the comment from the police. Police, well, uh, as long as it turned out okay, I mean, in so many words, as long as it turned out all right, then uh, yeah, you know, you can be a good Samaritan. But if it turns out bad or something goes wrong. Uh, then they'll say, well, you shouldn't have gotten involved. You know, you should let us professionals handle it. Uh, and the same thing, uh, you know, people will, will say, well, you know, they, they think you're, uh, you're un very unwise, you know, to get involved in other people's problems. You should mind your own business. One of the consequences of the separation of sin from guilt and of guilt tripping is that not many people nowadays have a clear conscience. They have a vaguely troubled conscience. And a bad conscience is a terribly devilating thing. It weakens a man. Another reason for this problem is that we have lost the ability to make confession. Some churches still have in the liturgy a general confession, which is very important. Others stress regular confession, and that is waning. But basically, all of us in the best form of confession is directly to God the individual confessing to God. But 
confession has tended to drop out of uh, the Christian's thinking. And it's the ability to confess to God and to say, uh, we have sinned. We have failed in this or that respect. And to ask for his grace and mercy that gives us a clear conscience, that enables us to pick up and go ahead and not be destroyed by our yesterdays. One of the reasons why psychotherapy in various forms, psychologists, psychoanalysts, psychiatrists, has become so routine and commonplace in our world, especially in certain strata of society, is because these people are not believers, and if they are, they do not confess to God And as a result, they have a bad conscience, a continually troubled conscience. And they've got to see these psychotherapists with their quackery in order to clear their conscience, which does not happen. Because the essence of humanistic psychotherapy was very well stated by Freud when he scolded a homosexual's mother when she wanted her son cured. He said that the purpose of psychoanalysis will not be to cure your son of his homosexuality but to teach him to accept it. Well, the the method of the the psychologist is uh, uh, to convince you that there's no sin, there's no such thing as sin, Therefore, you don't have to repent. Mm-hmm. And if all you, uh, if you're, you only feel guilt, then the psychologist's job is to transfer that guilt to somebody else—your parents, or society, or your environment, or whatever—and they get paid to do that. But the problem never goes away, so you have to keep coming back. It's a problem that never gets solved. Uh, you never you never feel good. Uh, you don't feel free uh, after going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist because there's always that element of doubt. Man can't atone for sin. That's right. Yeah. You see, because if there's guilt, means there's there's something wrong there. The sin, and, and to put it in religious terms, which they they won't, the psychiatry won't use, of course. Um, psychiatry tries to atone for sin by making you accept the sin as normal and therefore you just come to terms with this sin and that will not get rid of sin because what they're trying to do is it's a a phony atonement Mm -hmm. and and it doesn't work. Redefinition from a different vantage point is not forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) They got job security because they never really solved the problem. And you, you know it's uh, uh, it's the installment plan. You know and you have to keep going back. And that's funny that even liberals, comedians, for years have been making jokes about how people will go to psychiatrists for years on a regular basis, and uh, they even know that it really doesn't do any good. They've got to have that continual fix that it's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. There was a book 
some years ago by that title that was very popular. And how much of our judiciary, in child custody cases in particular, where they'll ask a psychologist to determine the reality of the situation, to determine custody, to, to determine how a child should be treated, and they keep coming in month after month after month after month for treatment of the child or the children, and you never get a solution to the problem, no. except the children gradually grow past the age of 18 and they get out of therapy. That's the game. Yeah. That's the game. They got a customer for all those years. They get paid. The court pays them or the parents pay them. There's, it's a win-win situation. <laughs> well, this matter of guilt tripping is now a matter of state policy. The way to keep a people subservient is to make them feel guilty, not free. And as a result, we have programs in our schools that put guilt trips on children very early. We do it politically. One of the tremendous arguments used during the debate a year or so ago about the Medicare programs was to make people feel guilty if they would not favor the total takeover of medical practice and of medical care. Somehow you are a monster as one uh, um, Senator John Kerry of Massachusetts said the Republican budget takes kids who have muscular dystrophy, Down syndrome, cystic fibrosis, cerebral palsy, and takes away their wheelchairs, their communicative devices. Well, we get a lot of statements like that. I suppose you could put together a fat volume of the insane quotations that are designed like that to put a guilt trip on people who disagree. They get away with it because they are so preposterous. Because people are not Christian or they are Christians who do not know their Bible. And therefore, a guilt trip can be laid on them. If they knew their Bible, that would be impossible. And they would regard any such statement as a joke and laugh at the folly of the man who made it. Well, if you don't know what sin is, that's probably the reason a lot of people either don't read the Bible or don't make any attempt to find out what sin is because then they'd have to repent. Mm -hmm. They'd yes. suddenly be faced with the dilemma. It's easier paying taxes and letting the liberals take care of the problems yeah. than, than admitting their sins somewhere. Well, you Perhaps. can, you know, uh, you have to wonder if people sat down and thought about it it's a lot less expensive to confess your sin uh, to repent and get forgiveness for God and from God and it's free <clears throat> whereas if you go to a psychiatrist you never get through paying no <clears throat> there's always that sense that it's not quite right you know, it's papered over. They just put a Band-Aid on you and send you out into the world. 
Well, I think the, the state or the people who are apart from Christians, they devise their own atonements, so to speak. I, I'm thinking of a, a particular situation where the president of an institution had to give up his position. And the senior executive staff of the organization resigned. You, you had a total turnover of the organization. And when the new people came in, the wrongdoing, which had cost the public hundreds of millions of dollars, was not of, of consideration. The fact was, we will determine the atonement, and the atonement is, these people are very feeling very badly about what they did, and their careers are ruined. Well, their careers were not ruined. They went on to other things. But that was how they wanted to define atonement. There was never a question of how this should be viewed in terms of God's laws, uh, or what we would consider forgiveness, true atonement, that type of thing. Or restitution. Or restitution. God's law. In that case, it would have had to be at least double and up to fivefold, depending on the various circumstances. Certainly would have put a crimp in their lifestyle. <laughs> yes. But if we ever see our government exacting that type of atonement, if I can put it in quotes, uh, of the wrongdoers against mm -hmm. the public interest, uh, it will be a peculiar day uh, in July. It will never happen. We have a very fine man who is a superior court judge in a state at the other end of the country. Before he became a judge, he was able to get a law requiring restitution if a judge sought to impose it. And the hostility to him when he subsequently became a judge was such that although years have passed, the media has never lost an opportunity <laughs> to treat him as though he were a scoundrel or to take pictures of him uh, that will show him in the worst possible light. They'll wait until he's got his mouth open to say something and will snap the picture then. And uh, it's all deliberate because they resent the fact that he has made restitution into law. They feel that this somehow is an insult to the community because it throws you back into a biblical world and life view. But the people who have been robbed, they like it because it means restitution has to be made. So they're not paying for the man after losing, say, $50,000 or whatever, they're not paying thousands a year in taxes to support him in jail. They get their money. The man has to work it off. Yeah, but it's not a it's not a state imposed solution. It's not like have having uh, <clears throat> victims assistance like we have in California, <clears throat> where all society mm -hmm. has to pay has to make yes. restitution. In other words, the the uh, the taxpayers have to. Uh, uh, have to pay it back, not uh, have to make restitution, not the uh, the person who committed the criminal act. Well, our time is about up. 
Thank you for all for listening. Don't let anybody put a guilt trip on you. Tell them I said it was ungodly if they try to do it. Thank you. God bless you.